Well, good morning, everyone. Great to see you worshiping with us today. For those joining us online, a very special welcome to you as well. From wherever you happen to be joining us from in the world today, we're glad that you're with us uh, through that means of technology. Over the last number of weeks, we've been in this series called Unhurried, which is about finding our pace in the Lord's Prayer, moving slowly through the phrases of Jesus and aligning our pa- the pace of our lives with the pace that Jesus wants us to walk at. And as we began this series, we said, you know, God could move fast or slow, but he tends to move slow. And our God is an unhurried, unanxious God. And we want to align our lives with him as we walk phrase by phrase uh, through the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray this phrase. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. You know, I want to confess to you, church, this has been a, this has been a tough one uh, this week for me. You know, walking and working through uh, the realities of this phrase. Uh, I even talked to one of my kids last night after the service, and he said, You know, Dad, I used to kind of just blast through the Lord's Prayer. I've never sat on that phrase before. Of forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. It just went to a great conversation. But there's a heaviness uh, to this one. So I'm just telling you up front. There's a heaviness to this phrase. But one that I think God is wanting to speak into our church this weekend. And for those online, speak into your heart wherever you happen to be. You see, this weekend, we're going to be learning about debt and debtors. And I want to start with this. What does it mean to have a debtor? What is, what is having a debtor all about? Well, let's start on the financial level, because debt here is pretty simple to understand. When you incur a debt, who has to pay it off? Okay, let's leave. We'll just ease into this a little bit. You know, it's early. I get it. How about this? How many of you have ever incurred a debt? You can even just put your hand like this if you don't want to really say how many have ever incurred a debt. You had a mortgage or you had to make a car payment. You have a credit card and had to pay something off. Now, how many of you have ever incurred a debt? Let me see again. It's almost almost all of us. Okay. Now, how many of you also found that generally there was no one racing to pay it off for you? Like to line up and say, oh yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, most of us. You had to pay it off yourself because there's a very simple rule about most debt. And it's this. You owe, you pay. And you can test this out if you don't believe me. This week, go into your bank and ask for an appointment with a bank officer and tell them, this debt that I carry is too much for me. It's hampering my lifestyle and it makes me kind of depressed every day. So I just don't want to pay it back. Is that okay? And then just watch the reaction on their face and judge with me how that goes. You know, think about this. People who lend money are kind of, they're quite touchy about this kind of thing, about repayment and such. They keep very careful accounts. I mean, we have a phrase for people on the street who lend money and are determined to get it back. We have a phrase for them. It's an aquatic animal metaphor. We call that person a lone shark, right? Not the lone bunny or the lone puppy. No, they're a lone shark because the lone shark has one rule. You owe, you pay. Now Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our debts means forgive us, God, for the ways that we've sinned against you. And by the way, every sin is against God because of his holiness. Because you and I, we have all sinned against God. We have a mountain of moral debt that we can't pay off. But you've also been sinned against. There's two realities in this prayer. Of course, we have sinned. We need forgiveness from God. But you've also been sinned against. Everybody in this room has been sinned against. You haven't just been the perpetrator of sin. Every single one of us has been the victim of sin. You've been sinned against. You have some people in your life, in your story, 
who it could seem like they owe you for what they've done to you. You have some debtors, somebody that you thought you could trust hurt you, were jealous of you or said bad things about you or twisted the truth about you. Somebody in business deliberately cheated you or took advantage of you financially and didn't care how much it hurt you. You know, maybe somebody in your own family wounded you. A parent belittled you or neglected you or withheld affection when you needed it. A spouse walked out. A friend attacked you. Maybe someone in this church sitting right in this room gossiped about you. You see, we have all been victims of sin. Everybody in this room and those joining us online from wherever you happen to be, you have been a victim of sin. We all have debtors. And this fact brings us to a spiritual crossroads of immense proportions. And it's this. What are you going to do with the people who have sinned against you? What are you doing with your debtors? What am I doing with my debtors? And I wonder sometimes how motivated we are to extend grace to our debtors, to people who have sinned against us. Because maybe the truth is this is no big deal to you. Maybe the truth is if you're really honest about it, extending grace to your debtors is pretty low on your priority list of things to do. Well, I want us as a church to be very clear what Jesus teaches and models about this. And I want to look this weekend, not just at a single phrase from the Lord's Prayer. I want us to look at a single word, one word. It's this, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Two letters, one word, as we forgive our debtors. You know, I think that's one of the most sobering words in the whole Bible. That little word, as, right in the middle of the phrase. Because Jesus is making a correlation here between the way you and I treat our debtors and the way God Almighty treats us. So this whole message really is about one word. And we're going to get very clear on precisely what Jesus means by this one word for those of us who have chosen to follow Jesus. Now, if you're here joining us online and you know in your heart you're not a follower of Jesus yet, you're curious, maybe skeptical, you're on the outside looking in, I want you to, I want to tell you in particular, for those who aren't followers of Jesus, and you're fine to admit that, not a follower of Jesus, I want to tell you what this weekend in particular can be for you. If you're curious or inquiring or wondering about the claims of Christ and wondering what it is to follow him, this weekend will be a behind-the-scenes look at what Jesus calls us to when we surrender our lives to him. If you're wondering about some of the kingdom values of what it really means to follow Jesus and the kind of decisions we make as his followers, for those of you who are yet to follow Jesus, this is a behind-the-scenes look. You get to look behind the curtain and say, for followers of Jesus, this is the expectation, this is how it is for them. And I pray it will become very clear about your own need for Christ and the impact that he has on everyday decisions. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. If you have a Bible with you, Matthew chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible or device with a Bible on it, the scripture is going to be coming up on the screen here uh, behind me. But I want you to, if you do have a Bible, turn to Matthew 18. If you're brand new to the Bible and uh, maybe you're at home, again, watching online and you have a Bible there and you're not sure where to find things, now you go to the table of contents and you find the name Matthew and go to that page number. As you flip through Matthew, you'll see large, bold numbers. Those are the chapters. And then smaller numbers, those are the verses. So if you find the big, bold 18 and then move through that chapter to a small number 23, that's how you reference things in the Bible. That's how you find your way uh, to where things are in the Scripture. So Matthew 18, 23. And the reason we're looking at this text in particular is because there's a whole story here that in a way is a commentary on that one word, as, in for, as we forgive our debtors. 
Now, the context of this story in Matthew is that one of the followers of Jesus, one of the closest disciples of Jesus, a man named Peter, Peter has a debtor. Peter's dealing with forgiveness issues in the community. A brother or sister, somebody in his life has wounded him. And he wants to know about forgiveness, and so he asks Jesus about it. Peter comes to Jesus and he says, you know, I've got this issue, but I want to know about the standards of forgiveness. Exactly how far do I have to go in the whole forgiveness business here? And he wants Jesus to give him some limits, some boundaries. And so he asks Jesus about it. And as, as Jesus often does, Jesus responds to a very simple question. What are the boundaries on forgiveness? And tells this amazing story. And that's what the story is for us this morning. Let's start with verse 23. Verse 25. Remember, this is in response to a question about forgiveness. And Jesus says this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And since the man was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Let's pause there. This is the story of a king who wanted to settle accounts and a, and a man who owed him a very large debt. And I want to get us into the context here about the size of this debt for a moment. One talent, that's the name of the money in, the, in, this, in this story. One talent in Jesus' day was a vast sum of money. I mean, think of it this way. In a whole year, the total tax load for Judea and Samaria of the nation of Israel, the whole tax load to Rome added up to 600 talents. So the, the national tax load for a country to Rome at this time was 600 talents. An enormous amount of money. That was a lot of money. Now here in this translation, it says that this man owed the king, this servant owed the king 10,000 talents. You know what Jesus is actually doing is he takes the highest number in use and then makes it plural. It's like when we say it's a bazillion, gillion dollars, whatever else, something like that. It's a number too high to calculate. Now already at this point in the story, several things would be very clear to Jesus' listeners. First thing that would strike them is this. How would a slave come into possession of such enormous riches? Because kings in those days, maybe like today, were not in the habit of giving out enormous loans to slaves. And there's just one answer. The king in this story is a character of staggering generosity. And there's no other way, way to account for this behavior. This is a king of a generous heart. And then there would have been a second striking fact to the people listening to Jesus tell this story. It would be this. What kind of slave would take so much money from a king, spend it all, and make no provision for the day of reckoning? I mean, yes, we have a king with a generous heart, but this is also a character of unbelievable folly and selfishness. We have a king who is generous. We have a foolish person in the story. And there's a third striking fact to many of Jesus' listeners. It's this, that the king of lavish provision is also the king of the settled account. He's going to settle accounts. He's committed to justice. This is not a story about getting off the hook because of vague bookkeeping by a sloppy king. This is not the kind of king who would say at the end of the day, you know what, you did the best you could with what you had. It's all right. We'll let it go. Not at all. You see, Matthew, the writer of this gospel, he understood about settled accounts. This is a rare parable and that it's only found in Matthew. None of the other Gospels have it. And I think there's a reason why Matthew liked it. Do you remember what Matthew's job was when Jesus called him to follow? What was it? Tell me. A tax collector. He was a tax collector. Tax collectors tend to understand things about settled accounts, don't they? They do. 
Matthew knew what, was, what this was all about, and he himself had heard every lame excuse in the book for, not to, for why people don't pay. He includes this parable in regards to forgiveness. So the time comes for the pronouncement of judgment, and the king says to the slave, sell him, his wife, his children, and all that they have. This is not an unusual thing. Imprisonment for debt was very common in Jesus' day to prevent people from escaping and to motivate their relatives to pay off the debt. But here, think about this. This debt is entirely unpayable. I mean, that means that this man and his wife and his children would be sold from one generation to the next to pay off the unpayable debt. End of sentence, next case. I mean, this moves on. Anyone hearing this story, as Jesus told it, this would be no surprise to them because they knew the one rule about debt. You owe, you pay. But then it gets very interesting. Something happens in the mind of the servant. He is desperate. He has nothing to lose. So he takes this massive risk. Look at verse 26. It says, the servant fell on his knees before the king and said, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Now, I want you to notice the exact request. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Do you remember the size of the debt? And what are the odds that this unemployed slave would be able to pay back a debt of that size? I mean, it's a joke. It's kind of like promising to empty Lake Ontario with a teaspoon. Give you all the time you want. It's not going to happen. At best, it's an insult to the master's intelligence. I mean, whatever is going on in his head, this is the last long shot of a desperate guy. And all of Jesus' listeners know just what to expect. They know the rule. You owe, you pay. He is a just king. He's settling accounts, and they wait for the axe to fall. Except this. Jesus says in verse 27, this is a pivotal point. At this moment, the king took pity on him. The king looks at this frightened, selfish, desperate fool, and he is absolutely moved with compassion. He does two things. First, he releases the man. No prison. Saves his family, frees his children, gives back his home. He's released. But then he goes way beyond that. The king forgives the debt. Now think about this for a moment. This is a mountain of debt. It's a huge sum of money. And it doesn't just disappear, does it? I mean, somebody has to pay. Somebody has to take the loss. Somebody has to absorb this. So who pays? The king does. He is offering a whole new system of debt management, and it goes like this. You owe, I'll pay. I mean, this is the economy of grace. The king says, I'm going to pay your unpayable debt. I'm taking the hit. I'll suffer the loss. I mean, debt just doesn't disappear into thin air. Someone has to absorb it. And so I will take the whole price on myself so that you can go free. In my kingdom, it's going to be like this. You owe, and I'll pay. Imagine what happens when this man goes home and sees his wife. Because I'm guessing she wasn't so happy about this whole situation at all. I mean, she's not going to lose her home because of his foolishness. He looks at his kids. They're not going to spend their lives in prison. Kids in prison because they're free. They get their life back. And they don't even have to try to walk out a debt repayment plan. It's just all grace. It's just undeserved favor. 
I want to pause here for just a moment because this is really a story about the human race. This is your story. This is my story. Because Jesus says that there is a king, there is a God who is lavishly generous and painstakingly just. And human beings have accumulated a mountain of unpayable moral debt before him. And we are adding to it all the time. I mean, anytime we're less than honest, every time we cut corners on an expense account or a tax return, every time we're unloving with a child, every time you should have made, should not have made a cutting remark, but did every time you should have spoken in love, but chose not to every time that God gave you a gift and you weren't grateful every time we gossiped. I mean, every selfish act, every racist joke, every judgmental attitude is adding to this mountain of unpayable moral debt. And every human being is in the same boat. Every single one of us. But there was a day in my life, I'll never forget it. One day the king came to me and said, I'm offering you a new economy. Wade, you owe? The king says, I'll pay. I want to tell you, church, one day the king came to you with that mountain of moral debt, however big it was, and the king said to you, here's my offer. You owe. I'll pay. Do you remember that day? The king said to you, come live in my economy of grace. And it cost Jesus his life. It cost him the best that he had, and he paid it without hesitation. I want to tell you, church, my confession is this. I owe everything to grace. I, you and I, we owe everything to the grace of God. Well, that's the first act of the story. There's a second act. See, we're told in verse 28, when that forgiven servant went out, he came across a fellow servant who owed him a debt of 100 denarii. So remember, get the picture. He's just walked out forgiven. This time, he's the one who was owed money. And the fellow servant says precisely the same words to him that this one servant had said to the king in verse 29. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay you back. Now, Jesus' listeners are expecting something here. Surely, this one servant is going to do for this man what the king had just done for him. I mean, they knew that he would show grace for a forgiven debtor to receive grace from a king and then withhold from just a grace from another debtor was absolutely unthinkable. Jesus' listeners knew this man would show grace because this time around, the debt is eminently payable. This debt, Jesus said, was a hundred denarii. It was the equivalent of about three months wages for a laborer. It's significant, but it's not insurmountable. The second debtor was making an infinitely smaller request. And for the man to receive grace for a mountain of debt and withhold it for an ounce of debt was absolutely unthinkable. Jesus' listeners knew this man would show grace because his life had just been saved by grace. I mean, he was on the receiving end of the biggest grace operation in all of history. And they knew that he would be willing to overflow with grace at the first opportunity he was given. I mean, it would be like a tiny way of saying thank you to the king. And a tiny way he could do for this man, this fellow debtor, what the king had done for him. It would be like an honor to forgive the debt. So imagine the shock of Jesus' listeners. When in... In this man who was saved by grace, there is not one ounce of compassion. I mean, there is no tear of pity. The second part of verse 28, when he comes to this man that owed him this small debt, look at what he says. He grabbed him by the throat and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Now to seize by the throat was this gesture of utter violence and contempt. It was the worst thing you could do to someone in Jesus' culture. 
You do that when you really want to hurt someone. This one servant wanted to hurt his debtor. He wanted to feel anger and resentment and bitterness. He wanted that. And he doesn't forgive the debt. He doesn't even give the man time to pay it off. Not only does he not forgive it, like I said, he doesn't give the man the time to pay it off when he could have. He throws him in prison where the man has no hope. This first servant violates in every respect, spirit, tone, word, deed, everything, the king who had showed him grace. And here's the deal. I wonder from the way Jesus told this story, if the guy ever had grace, got grace at all. I mean, it's this masterfully told story. If you notice, the first servant never asked for grace in the first place, did he? He really asked for the works plan, right? Remember, he said to the king, I will pay everything. I can take care of the debt myself. I'm good for it. He never asked for grace. And yet when grace was given, there was no response. There was no expression of thanks. There was no brokenness. There was no desire to make right whatever he could. I think this first servant, honestly, he just wanted to get off the hook for his own debt. I don't think in his heart he was interested in grace or true forgiveness at all. Because what is clear in the text is that he had no intention of giving grace. He was saved by the king's grace, but he wouldn't offer it. I just want to pause here again for a moment of application because... Another confession. Not only do I owe everything to the grace of God, but I'm I'm the slave in this story. It's me. I know what it's like to seize someone by the throat with words, with thoughts. I know what it is to want to hurt someone in my heart, to say hurtful things, to withdraw my love, to just move back and become cold towards those who have not treated me well. And I'm like the slave in this story because I'm just a forgiven debtor. And the debt between me and God is infinitely greater than what any person has ever sinned against me. And and more than that, I'm like the slave in this story because I'm the biggest debtor I know. I actually don't know about your debts. I don't. I don't have access to your inner world, your secret hurts, or private thoughts, or the hidden darkness. Only one person that I know, that's only mine. I want to tell you, I know my failures. I know my shortcomings. I know the ways that I'd like my character to be different. I know the ways that sin keep me from being and doing what God wants me to be and do. I am, church, hear this. I'm the biggest debtor I know. And you know what? You're the biggest debtor you know. And in light of that, to withhold grace from some other poor debtor in God's kingdom is just absolutely unthinkable and it's entirely unacceptable. Look at verse 31. Jesus says, When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Why does Jesus say there were other servants that were outraged or greatly distressed? Remember back in verse 23, we're told that this is a parable about life in God's kingdom. These are fellow servants of the kingdom. And when they see no grace in one who is saved by grace, they are greatly distressed and outraged. In church, so it should be in the kingdom. Whenever people see someone who claims to be in the kingdom, who claims to be part of the community of grace, withhold that grace and forgiveness from somebody else, we ought to be greatly distressed by that. Well, the king's servants are greatly distressed. And there's one final act, three acts to this story. See, the slave is brought in one more time. This one who'd been forgiven this mountain of debt, he's brought in one more time. But it's a different story this time around. 
In this interview, there are no tears, no pleadings, no bargains. This time the king says to the slave, I mean, you didn't get it at all, did you? I mean, you've badly misunderstood me. You thought that grace meant that I was kind of a fuzzy-minded incompetent that would just let you get away with whatever you wanted and abuse whomever you choose in my kingdom. You thought wrong. You thought that because you were rescued by me, you could be the same old, hurtful, self-centered, unforgiving person you were before, and you're badly mistaken. You were shown forgiveness, but you won't give it. You were granted mercy, but you won't bestow it. You were showered with love, but you will not extend it at all. You were offered the economy of grace, and yet you've chosen the way of vengeance. And the king says to the servant, if that's how you want it, have it your way. Take him away, the king says. Throw him into prison. Leave him there until he pays back the unpayable debt. And look at verse 34. In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And then comes one of the most sobering verses in the whole Bible. This then is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I don't know how Jesus could make it any clearer than that. Forgive us our debts as we are forgiving our debtors. You know, and I think the torture referred to here honestly is the true pain of a completely cold heart. That's the torture. I want to tell you, church, this is not a heaven and hell story. You know, some people think they look at this and say, oh, people are kicked out of the kingdom. God's sending people to hell who used to be in his kingdom. That is not what Jesus has in mind here. Do you know what Jesus is talking about here? The imprisonment, the torture. He's talking about the destructive nature of bitterness and unforgiveness. You want to know what it does to a soul? You want to know what it does to a life? When we choose the economy of vengeance, it is like a prison in which we are heaped on us, what is heaped on us an unpayable debt that we can never pay off. Because that's the way we choose to live. Jesus is talking here about the prison of bitterness and unforgiveness. And it is so destructive. I heard someone say this week that bitterness is the poison you drink in hopes that the other person drops dead. Bitterness is the poison you drink in hopes that the other person drops dead. That's the prison. That's the torture. You've got some debtors. Maybe it's a mom or a dad or a brother or a sister, a husband, a wife, an ex-husband, an ex-wife. Maybe it's someone right here in this room, for those online, someone you may be even sitting with watching this service. The question over us this morning, for those who are followers of Jesus, remember this is a kingdom parable. Will we be the people that choose grace in every single relationship? And I want to say a word about forgiving, about what it's not. And church, lean in on this. You've got to hear me on this. Please hear this. To forgive someone, there's been so much misunderstanding about this. To forgive someone does not mean to excuse or tolerate wrongdoing. It doesn't mean doing what the other person just wants you to do. I mean, some of you have experienced very deep wounds. You were horribly abused, perhaps betrayed. Now, forgiving does not mean allowing that behavior to go on or to have it be unconfronted. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness may not even mean to reconcile with someone. There's a difference between forgiving somebody and reconciling with someone. Please hear me. If somebody sins against you, 
and refuses to acknowledge the truth and refuses to repent, you may not be able to reconcile. You cannot build a relationship unless there is a mutually shared understanding of truth and repentance when it's appropriate. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I have to know that you're hearing this. This is forgiveness is not license for people to treat you horribly and just to feel like it just gets passed over. That's not it at all. But here's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is giving up the right to hurt them back. Forgiveness is choosing to speak words of blessing over the people that have hurt you before God. Forgiveness means I'm absorbing the cost of the offense and not making them pay. That's what we're called to do. If you've, if you've decided to follow Jesus and you're a part of the servants of his kingdom, do you know what the expectation is? As those who have been forgiven a mountain of moral debt, there can never, ever, ever, without exception, be a case in which we are not extending grace and forgiveness to others. I told you this was tough one this weekend. It's about choosing to forgive as many times as we need to. You know what I hear a lot? I used to do this too. In my pastoral role, I walk with people who have been hurt, horribly hurt. And here's the prayer I hear all the time. God, would you just help me to forgive? Help me to forgive so-and-so. Help me to forgive. You know what's wrong with that prayer? Is that God has already helped you to forgive by forgiving you. The help has come. Now it's a choice. It's not God help me to forgive. It's God, by your mercy and grace that has been extended to me, I now choose to forgive. Say the name. And see the difference? God, help me to forgive. We stay passive. God has to do this great work for me to forgive that person. The work got done. He forgave you. And now that conduit of grace and mercy that he's asking us to become becomes a reality when we say, I choose to forgive so-and-so for what they did to me and how it hurt me. And now I choose to bless them in the name of Jesus with life and mercy and goodness. This is a call to orient our lives around kingdom values relationally. It's about the trajectory and inclination of our hearts toward God as opposed to away from God. I am not saying that forgiveness is this just one spoken thing. There may be a situation in your life where for the next number of weeks, months, years, one of the prayers you're praying as you come to and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, one of the prayers might be for that person. And every day you choose to forgive. Even if the offense happened decades ago, you know the roots of it are deep inside of you. And so you continue to speak forgiveness in the power of Jesus' name until that forgiveness becomes a reality and the emotional attachment to the pain starts to separate and God has room to then heal your heart. And you can walk not into a prison of bitterness, but into a life of freedom and abundance, knowing that that's what God has prepared for you. Forgiveness means I give up the right to hurt them back. You know why forgiveness hurts? It's because you're absorbing the cost of the offense instead of having somebody else pay for it. It's what Jesus did for us. And if we're going to follow him as absorbers of the offense, we do the same. Never said it would be easy. Sometimes being a follower of Jesus, church, you want to know what it is? For those looking behind the curtain wondering what's life with God about, you know, sometimes being a follower of Jesus comes down to just doing really hard things. 
tough things that you wouldn't choose to do otherwise other than the one who saved you and forgave you and gave you life is saying, do it this way. Don't find yourself in prison. If you take a look at the side screens in a moment, the Lord's Prayer is going to be coming up. I'm going to ask you to remain seated because we're going to pray part of the prayer together. I said when we began this series, we're going to be praying the Lord's Prayer every weekend together. I saved this one to the end. We're going to do it different. I'm going to do something that I've never done before. We're going to stop with the line at forgiveness and not go any further. And when we stop, there, there's going to be some time of silence. I'm going to give some direction. I'm going to say some things there. But I want us to do two things. Whether you're in your living room, your bedroom at home, whether you're here in this room, I want to invite you to participate in this. I want you to think about two things. I want you first to remember the mountain of debt that God has forgiven you for. I mean, that's where the prayer starts. Forgive us. Forgive us our debts. Any self-confessed debtors in the room with me? Yeah, we have it. And we've been forgiven much, more than we could ever imagine. You can remember the day that it happened. I want you to think about that day. I want you to think about God's posture of mercy towards you. Think about your mountain. And then this. Secondly, I want you to ask God to bring to your heart and mind any debtor with whom you have unfinished business. I want you to ask God to bring to your spirit, by his spirit, any hardness of heart inside of you, any lingering bitterness or enmity, any act or work of forgiveness of grace that has yet to happen in your soul. I want you to ask God to bring that person to mind, that situation to mind. And this day, this calendar day, we resolve before God, I choose to forgive. I tell you, friends, it's way better than ending up in prison under the torture of bitterness. So we're going to pray this together as Jesus taught us to pray. We're going to stop at that line. I'm going to give you time. This is unhurried. I mean, we're here anyway. You're where you are anyway. Let's take the time to get this right. And so we, the church, followers of Jesus Christ, we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Let's pause there. I'm going to call our worship team up to lead us in just a moment. But I invite you again in a posture of prayer. This is a prayerful response now. This is between business, between you and God. Remember, I can't see into your hidden world. But don't rush past this. Don't save this for another day. I believe in my heart of hearts that some commitments to forgiveness need to be made right here today, where you're choosing to absorb the cost of the offense and to bless the ones who have hurt you. I'm not pretending for a moment that that's easy. But I'm asking you to now participate in a work of grace that first came to you, that now God wants to work through you. So I urge you to let the Holy Spirit speak first about in this. I think there's a response here. 
for those who have never asked God for forgiveness. I mean, what might be most true of you is that you're still sitting with a mountain of moral debt and you've never once asked God for his forgiveness. You know, you can do that this morning. And the grace of this lavishly generous king will absolutely flow to you. And you know, it doesn't take a huge amount of words. It doesn't take saying things in just the right order. You from where you sit here in the room or online can right now simply do this. Jesus, I call out for mercy. Forgive me and set me free. And however you would say that, a prayer of surrender. It says, I know I have a mountain of moral debt and I need it resolved. If that's your prayer, you pray it. You give your heart to Jesus. He will not refuse you. He's not asking you to pay off the unpayable debt. It has been absorbed by him already. Receive the gift. If you've made that decision, I hope that you'll take a connection card, you'll come to the welcome center, you'll come up front after and let us know so we can point you to the mercy and grace of Jesus and just how incredible the decision is you've made. If you're online, send an email. Get in touch with us. We'd love to know about your journey into forgiveness with God. But now for us here, response. What is the response for followers of Jesus who need to walk a journey of grace and forgiveness with others? Are you willing to bring that person to mind, that group of people? The ones that have hurt you? I mean, one of the questions that sits here is, how do I know if forgiveness has happened in my heart? Well, like this, when you think of that person, when you think of that situation, what emotions and dreams come to mind when you think of that person? Usually it's situation, there's a moment where something happened. Do you replay what happened and fantasize about a different outcome in which you're the strong one, you're the smart one, you're the beautiful one, and the other person is humiliated or hurt? If that's the fantasy of the heart, forgiveness is yet to take root, and so you choose to forgive again. And you speak blessing. You know, it kind of sounds like this. Jesus, I choose to forgive. Say the name. For what they did, and say what they did. I choose to forgive them for what they did and how it made me feel. And now I bless that person in the name of Jesus with mercy and grace of God. It may be a fact that the person that hurt you deepest is no longer even alive. And you're still asking them to pay off the debt. Are you willing to forgive even into a situation where the person has passed away, they can't do anything about it, but you're still in bondage to it? I choose to forgive that person. God, extend your grace to me again. Our God, our Father, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In Jesus' name.
Would you stand as we sing?